Commander Tomalax, Log. I am headed into the neutral zone once more. I'm here headed to the planet Galundan Core. It serves no purpose, whether strategically, socially, vacationally, there is just nothing there. I guess it's time to send a subspace message and see what's happening with the idiots who crash landing on Galorndin fucking core. Welcome to Reengage. <laughs> oh, shit. I find it is the best night of the year. It is the <laughs> night where we get to celebrate Andreas Katsuas and his contributions to the Star Trek Empire and sci-fi as a whole. We are a group of Gen X professionals, uh, professionals in very many different things, in fact, who are revisiting the uh, joys of our childhood and one of our favorite shows, Star Trek The Next Generation. We are going episode by episode and just uh, chatting about it as Gen Xers are wont to do. I am joined, as always, by my Cultural Bridge officers, starting with uh, Miss Kate Yeager. How are you doing today, Kate? Uh, I'm doing just swell, Mr. Grattan. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this uh, epic struggle. Yeah. Clashing of cultures, of priorities, of entire points of view in the galactic sense. Jimmy G, I know that you're going to bring up uh, memories of several things going on in the sci-fi world at the end of the decade of the 80s today. How are you? Uh, I am very well. Thank you, sir. Uh, and not to step on your opening monologue, but this planet Ooh. actually does play a big role for the Romulans later on. Yeah, this motherfucker doesn't know it. That's true. Come on, Jimmy. He's a bum. POV. He's a bum. He's a cog cog in the wheel. That's what I'm saying. Let's get going. (laughs) It is lovely to see you, my friend. How are you? I am doing well, and I would just want to let you guys know that I would donate blood to save your lives unless you killed my parents. Then I would not. I mean, I got to say that's fair. Line drawn. that we'll call that canon it is canon what if i just punch them really hard you know i think it actually could use with a good sock in the teeth so okay all right <laughs> all right it's settled uh greg will let each and every one of us die as long as we have killed his parents in front of him uh it's a fair deal i say we uh i'll take him up on it and move forward greg about what was happening in the world when this episode aired go for it greg nothing too crazy although on this day november 6th it was it's my sister's and my father's birthday so they turned uh uh, of an age during this uh episode when it was aired u.s marshals seized a pirate radio station in brooklyn wjpl and I couldn't find out too much more about this pirate uh, radio station. Oh, I just liked the idea that there were pirate radio stations and it made me really uh, want to start my own up, which I guess is what podcasting is. <laughs> so <laughs> we've done it. Um, uh, I, the day after this, uh, New York City elected its first African-American mayor, David Dinkins. Mayor Dinkins oh, mayor was Dinkins. elected on, on this date. I don't know much about Dinkins. Do you guys have any memories of... Of the dink, as he was called? All I remember uh, growing up in Kansas at this point, knowing nothing of New York, uh, a couple years after this, uh, we would get George Costanza having long, uh, luxurious talks about Dinkins in a couple of episodes. And so anytime I hear his name, I hear his name as voiced by one Jason Alexander. That's that's valid. Totally valid. Um, and I, I wasn't sure if you were going to cover this, case, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, November Ooh. 2nd, Black Adder Goes Forth had its last episode airing uh, by the BBC. Uh, I have oh, Black Adder has always been on my list to watch, but I've never actually seen an episode of it. Uh, and I now, having doing this, I'm like, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time to go watch Rowan Atkinson and uh, so many of those. Uh, Hugh Laurie was in that as well. Like so many oh, people yeah. that you know and love got their start well you know we're, we're we're continuing their illustrious careers with that show i you're gonna love it and anybody out there that hasn't seen it absolutely just pick one and watch it like there's there's no through line that is gonna help you like just watch <laughs> order watch them in order whatever you want to do they're just all so fun 
Uh, and that wraps up what's going on in the world. Go on with what's happening on all of our artistic inner lives, Kate. Uh, the final week of Look Who's Talking being uh, the top movie uh, will be this week. And we will nice. get a, a brand new uh, king and or queen of movie uh, next week. Speaking of uh, king and or queens, that has n nothing to do with this segue. But the number <laughs> one song in America was Listen to Your Heart by Roxette. You remember, I don't Talk, know yeah. where you're going and I don't know why. Listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye. Oh, so fucking good. Oh, God, even the, the guitar solo in the middle of it is epic and wonderful. Yeah. Grand Hotel opened at the Martin oh. Beck for uh, a little over a thousand performances. Oh. We had an episode of 30-something depicted two men in bed together after having had sex. Uh, they were forbidden from touching each other, but still a number of advertisers pulled their commercials and ABC withdrew the episode from rotation for rebroadcast because of the ire. Wow. Fucking wimps. Yeah. The, the advertisers pulled out, you mean? <laughs> in tundra i would like to go momentarily back to grand hotel and uh recommend that everyone go to youtube and watch michael jeter's tony winning performance uh, during the tonys as best supporting actor from that it's an incredible piece of physical clowning, and uh, his acceptance speech is one of the most heartbreakingly wonderful things you'll ever see. And also, one of my professors had the the pleasure, I guess, of sitting behind Tommy Toon oh! when he saw the show, and Tommy Toon was there with his assistant director giving notes. And it started, and apparently Tommy Toon immediately reached over and grabbed his assistant's hand and went, oh, this is brilliant. Oh, I had forgotten how good this is. This is so brilliant. And of course, he was the director and uh, was just <laughs> incredibly impressed with that evening's show, which makes me very, very happy. All right. <laughs> it's perfect. What was the week? Wait. November 6th, 1989. My nephew was born two days before this. One Matthew Kevin Patrick Grattan, who was just accepted in the PhD program at the University of Kansas for psychology. Nice. Uh, I'm very proud of the young man. You should be. Um, yeah, so good work, Matthew. Moving right along, Jimmy G, tell me what was happening behind the scenes in this particular episode. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of pushback uh, for one of the, not storylines so much, but one of the choices of the characters, uh, which we'll crack open later. Uh, oh, yeah. We can circle back to it, but there is pushback from both the director, who uh, this was his very first TNG episode. He did a lot of Sherlock Holmes in uh, London and uh, actually worked with Deanna there. Um, so mm. there was some bit of connection. You may have noticed, uh, if you're paying close attention, an odd cord or two attached to the away team, and that's because the handheld flashlights were so powerful in IR, IRL, which the kids say is uh, in real life, <laughs> um, that they couldn't run on batteries. So they had to have a cable connected to them and run through the actor's sleeves and into a power Amazing. source. Uh, and they couldn't cut that out. So they're, you, you can catch them uh, if you look real close. I didn't notice that, but I will go back and watch again. And that's all I have from the Nemesic Files. Well, as I understand, Greg ran across something in his uh, particular research saying that as we go through the plot, we almost got a much deeper uh, performance uh, out of the character of Deanna Troy. Greg, Oh, yes. I didn't bring that up because I didn't think it was interesting. I think it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know, so I'll be the judge. She Yay! said there was an earlier draft with her and Jordy trapped on the planet uh, and they had to work together. And she was the one who actually had to incapacitate the Romulan so that they could uh, yeah. get away. And she was excited about playing an actual action role and doing something, doing anything. Uh, yes. And then, of course, by the time she got the final draft, she was cut out of that part. And uh, I think she only has one line in this entire episode. It's <laughs> a so... big step back. <laughs> I judge that that is both interesting and frustrating. At the yeah. same time, yeah. Fair. Yeah. 
I like it. That's that's uh, often my uh, opinion of things that Jimmy decides to talk about or not talk about. <laughs> um, Me too. Uh, I I have missed you all. We missed you, Eric. We've uh, gotten together for these lovely interactions of ours. So let's uh, let's dive right in. Greg, out the opening teaser scene, and why I think it's one of the all-time best. I love this cold open so much. It is immediately in action. You see the storm and the effects of what's going on on this planet. It's very little dialogue, which I also really like. They're showing, not telling what they're trying to do there. And the tension just palpably goes up the the, the entire thing. And it's a quite a long cold open, too. Like it is it is a good uh, four or five minutes long of them building up what's going on in this planet uh, and having Jordy fall down uh, the well. I like that he says Worf, trying to get their attention. But then he does say Commander Riker, which is hard to yell. It's hard to yell those <laughs> many syllables. But he did it. He kept military protocol by uh, saying the rank of his superior officer while he's calling for help on a dying planet. I loved it. I mean, I thought cinematography was great. The performances were great. Writing-wise, it sets up. Uh, exactly what's going to be happening on this episode. It's an excellent cold open, and I was riveted. I couldn't agree more. I, one of the things I want basically out of every kind of action movie is for the action to surprise me. I'd love for it to surprise me right off the bat uh, in the middle of what's going on so that I have to catch up. I like that as an audience member, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, what do you guys think about it, Kate? I think it's fun, I mean, for all the reasons that, that Greg talked about, but I love we get sort of a a little hint of what we think this opening is going to be about when Worf finds the hurt Romulan and they start to fight. So this is sort of like, a, oh, it's going to be this kind of an opening scene. Uh, and then we see Jordy alone. And then it turns out that that's what this is actually going to be about. Um, so rather than it being a, a, a Worf episode, I was like, oh, it's a Jordy episode, uh, which was very exciting. And then it's both. And then it's both. Yes, and it is both. And I was struck right off the bat by, by two things. The first thing was that Jordy's like, oh, hey, everybody, I found some electrically conduced conductive materials over here during electric storm. Come over here. Let's stand among them. Uh, which hmm. is pretty much literally what the dialogue was. Um, so I think that was, was very funny for a moment. Uh, but then I was struck by how good Worf is it, right off the bat in this. There's that... You know, oh, I have spotted a one-person wide cleft in the rock. Someone shall explore it. Clearly, that's why Worf is there, right? He's got this. But that scene is hard to do. Like, you're standing in a Halloween mask, backlit, and your job is to be afraid of, like, the lights you can see blinking and the smoke machine that you can see and hear. And, like, you can't use your face at all because they can't see it, just your body and your voice. And... Like, you can't look ridiculous. Go. And, like, that's not easier than what Doug Jones is doing these days. Mm. Dorn doesn't get the credit that he deserves for how good he is physically, especially in moments like this. I also just love his his wind-up to smack in the Romulan. Like, he, he, couldn't, he doesn't just punch him right away. He probably could have. He's like... Rrr. Right. And, he, yeah. like, and as the audience member, I'm like, just hit him, just freaking hit him before it happens. And it doesn't, it's, it's great. And you can see his built up of emotion for all the, yeah. I mean, this might be the first Romulan he's actually face to face with mm. since he, his, his parents were killed by them. Right. I, I mean, and I always try and take the, you know, the, the combat as, as realistic as I could. Like if, if Worf does what he did there to a human, his, his hands going through the face. You know what I mean? Like he he knocked out a Romulan with one hit without breaking his nose or his teeth. Like that I just assume that means that Romulans are very tough and I'm not sure Worf's ever had the chance to hit one as an adult. So I don't think he necessarily held back and might actually have intended to kill him. Hmm. Uh, is, is where I go with it as an actor. Like that's what I see Worf trying to do whether or not it's actually what's happening. I loved it. Uh, what do you think about Worf in this first scene, Jimmy? Uh, he's brilliant as always. The opening was fantastic. His fight. I see your point about the... He didn't know that Romulan was going to survive. <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah, And it didn't matter, um, yeah. Uh, the only like, the only slight negative takeaway I had was 
uh, they really need different kind of uniforms when they're going to rough planets. <laughs> like you can't wear the same thing to a planet with electric storms that you wear the tin Ford. Like that doesn't track at all. Yeah, like they, they should have gone back and lucas their way into some kind of shimmer right. around the exposed skin. Let's <laughs> well, not pay attention to that in every yeah. episode. How much fun would that be? For the costume <laughs> people, like, uh, but yeah, yeah. I agree with everything. The opening was uh, fantastic. I was like, this is gonna right away. I was like, this is gonna be fun. So in the meantime, Jordy's out there walking in circles until he hits a bad patch, and Wilhelm screams his way into a sinkhole. Uh, I love the muddy water at the bottom. I'm struck by that. Like he has to mm. jump into opaque water as an actor, and that that gives someone a lot to work with. Like that is a scary thing to do. Because <laughs> you can't see where your feet are actually landing. Mm. And then you actually have to deal with the discomfort and and uh, issues that come up with having wet clothes. You know, he's got that visor on. All of that stuff is tough to work with. And as an actor, sometimes you want all that because then you don't have to act. Right. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't do the blind guy loses his way to see thing. Yeah. Like they yeah, really yeah. could have leaned. Like I thought at first I was like, oh man, is this going to be an episode where he's dealing with that from the get-go because it mm -hmm. broke or something or he lost his glasses. And I'm glad that he just finds them and puts them back on, even though I'm like, does it still work? Cause there's all the muddy water on it. But like, you know, again, it's, it's a little bit of a misdirect of like, it's going to be with this kind of episode. Oh wait, it's not. Non-disabled people writing for a disabled character and doing some interesting stuff. I like that they didn't go the way you think, like you're saying, Greg, I mm -hmm. also like that it became a plot point without being, now he's helpless. It became a plot point where he does disclose this information about himself kind of as a way eventually to open up a dialogue with an enemy that could use it against him. Oh, and I didn't even think of it being an episodic show where you have to assume that people have never seen an episode before. Right. Right. And so they establish that information. That's what the visor is. That's why he's blind. And then that, mm -hmm. that it gets used later as a as almost a um, Chekhov's gun kind of thing, right? So that's a good way to introduce mm -hmm. it to folks who may be seeing this for the first time. I do think it's interesting that the the blinking lights there on on the side of his temple is clearly for someone else to diagnose a problem. <laughs> you know, like he can't see it if he's not wearing his visor. <laughs> I did thought about <laughs> that. That's really good. Which is a fascinating thing. I, right. I wonder if thought about it but it's not like it's, it wouldn't be useful it just right. it's mostly useless in the time <laughs> seen it <laughs> it's because they they were surprised that they could actually do that it's like i can make them blink like it is really <laughs> cool <laughs> we couldn't do that five years ago guys this is really nice stuff all right so we have met uh many of the uh guest stars that we will see today it's mostly three romulans so we'll start with steve rankin as as the the limping one that you get picked up uh kind of early uh patak he has had an amazing career you look at him outside of uh makeup steve rankin is a face that you thousand percent recognize it's almost always agent this or <laughs> officer this like the dude is a cop in every movie ever made so you go to things like Men in Black. He's the INS agent that gets flashy thinged. He's an FBI agent in Blue Streak. He's an, uh, a cop in LA Confidential. He's got one of those faces, right? Mm. Uh, recently, he's still doing a lot of movie work. He was in Jersey Boys a long time ago. Uh, one called The Nowhere In uh, two years ago, which is a really interesting flick. Uh, and every TV show you've ever heard of. You know, from <laughs> Criminal Minds and Saving Grace and Cold Case and Veronica Mars, uh, CSI. Uh, he was in several uh, things in the Star Trek uh, universe. He did Star Trek Enterprise as Colonel Green, a uh, recurring character there. Another Army guy in 24, another Army guy in JAG, Pearl Harbor, war movies after war movies, a cop in Rocky and Bullwinkle. City of Angels, another couple of detectives, the X-File, U.S. Marshal, FBI officer in the West Wing. It just goes on like that. He had a type. So uh, right after that, we have the um, Centurion Bakra, who is so uh, featured in his scenes with uh, 
Jordy, and that is played by John Snyder, who also had just a terrific career. I hate to say had, he's still going. <laughs> uh, and most recently, uh, his last couple of things were a TV series called Fate. Uh, I don't know what that series is. I did not look further, but he's still working very, very often. Tons of things overseas, tons of things in anime. He's doing a lot of voices in English versions of anime. Cowboy Bebop, English uh, language additional voices in voiceover. That's where he's doing most of his work these days. Uh, but you go back to here, around the time he was doing this, he was also doing Wise Guy, Quantum Leap. He's Freddy in the movie Canine, who you'll recognize if you are that ridiculous like I am. Tons of things from uh, Simon and Simon to Crime Story to Sid and Nancy. He plays Vito in that. What a fantastic career he had all the way through. Now, we get to the reason I wanted to host this particular episode. We have one of my all-time favorite actors. I know I'm not alone. This is a man named Andreas Katsulov, and uh, he plays... Uh, Commander Tomalak. In this episode and three others, this is the only episode, or uh, there's only one episode that we see him in the flesh. The other three episodes, he is uh, wholly uh, confined to the view screen, and he liked that. Uh, he said he could never figure out what to do with his body as a Romulan, so <laughs> really preferred the talking head situation. People will know him immediately seeing him without makeup, just that face. We lost him in 2006 at 59 to lung cancer. He had a terrific career. Uh, born in St. Louis to Greek immigrants. He played a lot of Arabs in his film and TV career, which is really shitty. He got a gig with the Peter Brooks International Touring Company. And for those who aren't big theater aficionados, that is the golden ticket. You want to work with Peter Brook in the early 70s touring classical rep. So he was 25 years old and stayed with them for 15 years. That's how he got this freaking voice. He took some breaks from that to do Broadway. He played an old woman in Carmen at Lincoln Center. And Joe Pap Shakes, you can see his Midsummer with Christine Baranski, Deborah Rush, Kurt, or William Hurt, Ricky Jay, Paul Bates, and Emmanuel Lewis, and the great Jeffrey DeMunn as Bottom. That's from like 1982. If you can track that down, it's, it's uh, recorded from the Pap Festival that summer just great even in his early shit he had like two lines in ragtime if i remember right but they cut to him in like that face so that's that dude it's one of those things that happens so much when an actor eventually becomes big but most people will remember him forever as the one-armed man in the fugitive who uh beat the shit out of harrison ford he is genre royalty as ambassador gakar on babylon 5 uh, just a genre star, Alien Nation, Max Headroom, Millennium, just everything he could possibly do. This big-headed badass was incredible. In his uh, honor, go out and rent, blame it on the bellboy for me. A stupid indie comedy that uh, I personally absolutely love. Did you guys know Andreas Katsulas? I didn't re recognize, I knew, I was like, I knew this guy's face and it wasn't until you said that he was Sykes the one-armed man in the yeah. future. And I'm like, that's who it is. It's that yeah. guy, right? Because he's got such a demeanor uh, that matches up with with Tomalak here. Like, it's that same yeah. kind of snooty, looking down at your nose uh, type of delivery. And we're about to meet him. But first, we get the limping Romulan back to the place where we're going to beam up and no Jordy. Uh, Riker's going to go help, but then they decide to beam up while they can and immediately Riker wants to go down back down the captain says no and then they immediately forget everything about Jordy and start talking hard about the political implications of Romulans being on Kalorndon Corps. <laughs> I was kind of disturbed by how relaxed they were during the slow stroll through the hallway discussing Jordy basically not at all. I don't know there's a great line when they're still in uh you know when they've just transported on and, and O'Brien says I can't lock on there's a bunch of ghosts and Riker screams beam some of those ghosts back they may be Jordy which I think is <laughs> like so I think that that in and of itself gave enough uh uh gravitas to the situation that they could be cool when they were in the hallway and talking he left it all out on the field. I dig that. 
I the level of cool was was impressive. <laughs> and if I was Jordy later on, having heard the description of that uh, next conversation, I would be hurt no matter what they had said. I think, I think Riker's got his guff up. I mean, Riker is a little bit like, I, I left somebody behind. I think that's why he gets really yelly in the first half of this episode. I gotta tell you, I, I don't think he's like that in the hallway. He even does a Muppet cross at the end where he turns his head first. And then because there is equipment or a person or a wall right here, he has to exit keeping his body straight forward. It is <laughs> a wonderful little scene. I was going to say that's not his fault, but he could have done that differently. He really could have. Uh, no, I think I think he... he he wants to go down right, right right away, and Picard is the one. I think Picard is the one who's trying to keep it cool, uh, whereas Riker is certainly, in my mind, feeling that he you know, left a man behind. All right, so on the planet, Jordy's trying to figure shit out, right? He does the single coolest Robin Hood in the woods motherfucking thing with this uh, ore that he finds kind of spread around. You want to take that, Jimmy? What does he do? He uses his phaser to melt it down and make some cool climbing spikes. What do you think that setting is? That's not stun. It's blacksmithing. Blacksmithing. It was super cool. Like, it was a surprise, because I thought maybe he found, like, a console, like, oh, this was some buried city or something. Like I had no idea what he was going for when he fallen. Yeah. He took it out and melted it. And then the next thing you see him climb, he's like, oh, that's some cool shit that they don't teach in the academy. <laughs> yeah, he's a genius, right? I love climbing, the the figuring out of the placements and, and having the leverage and everything. But it, it got pretty, <laughs> like, these are the strongest wrists on earth when he got to the top and couldn't even get them to stop moving around, but still pulled himself up. It was fascinating. Uh, so, uh, blacksmith uh, Jordy gets up out of the pit. Now, the problem is they can't figure out how to get in touch with him. They know he's down there. They don't know where he is. They can't locate him. Nobody's coming up with anything, but Kate. Oh, you know who comes up with an idea. You know who has an idea. Well, of course Wesley has an idea, and it involves neutrino pulses, because yes. Jordy can see it, and then Jordy would be able to modify it, and then they can see it. It's genius. Greg, were you surprised that this came out of the mind of young Wesley Crusher? I wasn't, but I liked how it was not a like deus ex machina change the plot by being able to do physics weird like it was just like hey i got an idea the captain's like yeah that's a good idea let's try and do it and then they're like okay i did it and they're like good job wesley and then he gets that you know kudos from 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 jordy too but i think it was just really well done that that's how you would use someone who would come out i think outside the box without it being this person is the you know the genius level <laughs> uh thing and uh, needs to turn into the traveler at the end of season four or whatever uh, i'm i'm kind of the more i think about it super on board with the the kind of wesley is perfect uh, <laughs> depiction of him simply because like i think they wrote this knowing full well that 12 and 13 year olds and 14 year olds were going to be part of the core audience of this and seeing someone who has good ideas and isn't worried about speaking up in front of adults when they know what they're talking about is is super cool. I think it was useful to a whole generation of us little stupid nerds. <laughs> so this is a nice a nice way that they did it. I agree. Wesley Crusher. Crushing it. What happens next? An immediate interruption by the previously discussed Commander Tomalak. Discovered trying to reach the crashed people on Galorna Decor. Mm -hmm. Then Picard is like, oh, hey, where are you going? He says, oh, oh, hi. And then says, we'll be there in six hours. We want our person, definitely only one person, and uh, you'll hand them over to us, right? Is that going to work, everybody? I like the way, <laughs> I like the way though, that this uh, our, our guy is the quintessential villain, right? The like, oh, of course, uh, it's, Crashed by accident. <laughs> like, and it's, it's just so over the top evil that we know what's happening and it's delicious. I love it. 
I well, do but too. it's also perfect. It's exactly how people act today. They they go on the news and they act exactly that way. They they tell a lie. They're laughing while they say it, and uh, it nothing happens to them. So like that is exactly what this guy's doing. What Tomalak does here too is that he's he's flat footed. Like he did mm-hmm. not know that the, that Picard was there. He didn't even know that there was a survivor. So there's a couple times where he gets new information. And he does. He, the, uh, Andreas Katzelos plays this so well, where he like he, you can see him take a beat, and then he shifts tr- shifts uh, intention and and does something in a completely yeah. new and different way, and it's genius because we as the audience are seeing him process that and knowing that okay he's, I know he's lying because of that small tiny tiny pause that he put there. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't really care if you know that he's lying. There are there are people who think the only thing that matters are the words that they say. And as long as they say the right words, they can't be punished. And there are people who think that the intent (laughs) matters. And he clearly thinks that as long as he doesn't say the wrong thing, his superiors aren't going to get him in trouble and Picard's not going to do shit, you know? So he's coming forward. He even is still blustering. When I get there, you better have my people. Yeah. It's diplomacy. It's that diplomacy brinksmanship uh, stuff that is, is you know, all all yeah. Cold War. We, we us Gen Xers, we love it. <laughs> oh, and because and because we're supposed to root for the <laughs> for the Enterprise, it is very one sided in this. Yeah, they are building the beacon, and in the meantime, they're finding the way to fix their broken Romulan. Doctor Crusher's tried everything. She even tried to shut the whole thing down and let him heal uh, just the old fashioned body heal thyself situation. And none of that's working. So at this point, we need to find a way to get some uh, a ribosome donor for a Romulan. They've tried- Vulcans. Vulcans, doesn't work. They've tried, all the humans they've tried, doesn't work so far. Think they're gonna find anybody? It's me guys, I'm sorry. Like you're, I feel like you're intimating that they will, Eric. I feel like I feel very much like you are leading us right now. Well, I mean, we'll skip ahead. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep going, and we'll, we'll probably come back to this. We'll see. In the meantime, Wesley, by himself, apparently made this beacon. Not only was it his idea, he has gone down and made it, completed it, and installed it in this thing. We are. Firing it off into Galoindon core. Jordy is in the bottom of a ravine suddenly, and I didn't know how he got there. Like we saw him going up the, you know, wall, and then all of a sudden he's at the bottom of some fucking landslide, and I'm like, this guy is having the worst fucking day. And his uniform is dirty. Dirty. It is a it is a filthy uniform. I figure he entered another cave like the one Worf found at the beginning, maybe even the same one Worf found at the beginning, since that's mm. where the other Romulan. I was looking for the koi pond because that waterfall looked amazing. I was like, there's little- gorgeous. <laughs> so we're, we'll find out later that this guy is named Bahra. But in the meantime, Jordy is uh, confronted with a very aggressive Romulan who uh, doesn't seem to be doing well, but is not obviously injured and is very scared and uh, starts to try and hold uh, our friend Jordy hostage. With that physicality. Oh, yeah. When he's like got his one leg up and the thing, like, I just love that he was like, you are now my prisoner. I was like, oh, is this like the Ferengis when they were doing all their weird motions, but cool this time? Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it's terrific too, because that kind of overreaction is a, is not only kind of neat looking, <laughs> but it's such a... a, a Alien. Sign- it's, it's a sign of fear. Like, yeah. look how not scared I am of you uh, is kind of what it, it puts out there. And it's really a wonderful performance, I think. Well, and one thing we they never quite cover with him is that we know mm-hmm. from the other dude that's up on the ship that he is suffering from some mental degradation. Uh, and yeah. like he's in the throes of that. So I wonder if there's right. a little bit of that with this guy, too. That there's, you know, some paranoia and some... Right. I didn't think of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point. We we learn later through Jordy's uh, visor that his uh, blood pressure, heart rate, and temperature are all spiking. And uh, certainly <laughs> that would have an effect on my ration, uh, rationality at any given moment. And then, but then Jordy gets really chippy, like right away, as soon as he wakes up. Yeah. 
right? Jimmy and I were talking about this before. Like, what's what's up with Jordy? I always took it right away when he comes at him as being someone who is also afraid and sees that this guy doesn't want to kill him. That's what the fear is. Like, if this person's afraid and has a gun, he's probably going to shoot you if he's going to shoot you. So I think he's decided that acting also unafraid, acting a little aggressive without physically going after him is a way to get him to back off and continue to engage. That's that's what I took it as. It was calculated. He does use Commodore very skillfully. You know, he does that. He, I, My favorite scene in the movie, or in the episode, Jesus, is a little <laughs> later when they're talking about his uh, visor, which we were just talking about. The, the moment where he says, you can't see without it. And Jordy takes a little long moment and then says, yeah, it's amazing. Like, you've got to think the next thing he's going to do is ask you to give it to him in the nicest way possible. <laughs> like, or he knocks it off your face or anything else. Like, this guy's been signaling aggression the whole time. And Jordy decides that uh, signaling a little trust back is going to make it a much more interesting encounter and a safer encounter in the long run that is really interesting i didn't think about that either but that is that does require you know you to be like all right yeah you know this piece of information mm-hmm. what are you going to do with it well and you know and you see it even further when when more rocks come down and injure mr bakra he's still not going to accept help you know he's not going to uh, change anything about what he wants to do we have to stay here you know all of those things and Jordy is able to, mostly through talking, <laughs> at least at first, get him to uh, be a little bit more reasonable. And and that's just, I think that's something that this show does, that a lot of shows later when Gen X started writing them ourselves, we would start that way. And then at the end, the person wouldn't have ended up actually uh, changing. And so we'd get to kill them too. We'd get to be the good guy. <laughs> by extending our friendship uh, and the bad guy accepts that and then denies it so we get to kill them too. It really does feel like a thing over and over that Star Trek, at least this initial one, really didn't do much. That was a very long monologue on this. We're here for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we get into the heart of this episode, which is Worf finding out on a trip to Beverly Crusher's office that there is exactly one match on board for this ribosome uh, donor situation, and it is Lieutenant Worf. Wait a minute, that's what you were trying to get us to talk about. <laughs> well, I was curious. I didn't know this <laughs> what was going to happen. Jimmy, why don't you tell us what Worf's choice boils down to? I know. Flat out, simple. No, I will not give the blood. He'll die if you don't. Then he will die. Is very Spartan. Uh, the 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 dialogue they give Worf, he delivers it in a in a brilliant way. It's not calculating. There is a bit of comeuppance in there. You can see that. You know, it's not. He's not divorced of emotion from it. It's totally driven by emotion. It's great. I love that he didn't. They didn't give him a monologue for any of his very quick notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this first one, and we get one a little bit later as well. That's even more powerful. Uh, I absolutely love this. I love that they had him say no, uh, and I love the through line that continues after the scene with him and this choice. Agreed, and and they don't in this moment have crusher try to change his mind but they give her a very powerful reaction yes that open face just like i can't you know she was trying to say like you know there's no risk to you like that was might have been his reluctance and she's just like well i can't believe someone would ever make a choice that would that would be this and i think her shock really sells the moment even more and it calls into question the whole the premise that Roddenberry built Star Trek on is, uh, you know, it's it's a future perfect from the human side uh, in his stated thing of these people don't argue. We don't have drama between them because that's not what this is about. We don't see the drama. And this is people starting like you could they don't come to loggerheads here, but it's definitely we are on opposite sides of what is right or wrong here. Uh, and they're both good, the good guys because they're both uh, Starfleet and Enterprise crew people. So it's uh, ju- very juicy. It's great. It sets us up for, for what's to come. We don't have to watch him 
for an entire episode, hem and haw and soul search, right. uh, which is kind of refreshing that we sort of know right from the get go. Oh, 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 which is just, you know, it's it's a it's a nice change. And it's useful to have characters who are this in in, you know, in transigent. Is that correct? Uh, this unwilling to compromise a particularly unpopular value they have. Uh, it's a very common thing in person-to-person interactions. <laughs> so it's useful when it's thrown into a situation like this where you feel like all the characters usually come to agreement. This feels like one that they're just not going to win uh, as they try to convince him. Well, and that's why I, I would disagree there, Eric. I, I mean, we know what happens, but in that scene, I was like, I didn't remember this. So I was like, oh, how are they gonna how are they gonna flip this? What's the what's the route we're gonna take for uh Worf to change his mind? Because it's it was uh, very un Star Trek like uh, and, and that's what made me like like it so much more. And you're right, I wa- I watched it remembering what had happened, so that certainly colored my experience uh this time through. So uh Jordy still can't talk to Surprise, but Tomalak can, and he uh, says, what the fuck? You're not even at the neutral zone. I told you to come here and bring my fucker. You got my fucker? Direct quote, by the way. Yeah, no is the answer. Uh, So then we go back down, and they would love to work together. Bakra's come around a little bit. He's a little injured. Jordy is telling him everything that he was able to figure out about his own personal shit. Jordy saw the neutrino signal, but now the visor is finally having trouble connecting to Jordy's own neural pathways because of this electrical storm. They know the vague direction they're supposed to go, but uh, until they get there, and if Jordy isn't able to see it when he gets there, there's nothing they can do. Um, so. That great scene with them back to back, leaning yeah. against the stalactite, uh, trying to problem solve this is it felt like a like a submarine movie or something like that like like trying to how do we solve a problem with the stuff that we have with us uh it was it was wonderful totally i love that you he know. gets through to him too with sort of like uh like are you willing to die on this hill no i mean that literally right like where yeah. he just kind of gives him this sort of like dude look around read the room read the cave right and honestly, when I first saw it, I wish I understood that, that that he was having a literal conversation with him. It wasn't a metaphor. He, he opens with, there are things that it's willing to die for on principle. And like you say, Kate, that, that look him in the eye and say, do you really think this is one of them? Like, that's such a powerful way to get through to people. Or at least in theory it is. I mean, I think a lot of people have been trying that in, in recent years and finding out how little it works. But... What I like about that, though, too, is that it also is what Tomalak throws at Picard. He mm-hmm. throws, like, territories. Are you really saying that this is about borders and you will weigh a person's life on it? And it's right. such a great, like, he's kind of right, Picard. And then that's when Picard goes, you know, up to 11, right? Like, he yeah. he has to... to together because he probably actually does agree in some way but he has to be do his oh, job sure, but, he, but he knows that tomalak doesn't mean it when he says it right that's what it's drives like, you crazy uh, trump tro- uh, quoting the bible yep. yes <laughs> it's exactly we know that's full of shit dude yeah the people Daddy. who use your own shit against you your own tolerance against you uh, that's just the worst you know there are there are whole uh articles about uh, why it's great to be intolerant of intolerance. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that's this thing. They're just talking about liars, right? This guy's up there lying and he's doing a great job. He just most punchable delivery. All right. So Jordy can't see even through his, his wonderful visor due to the issues that we've been dealing with. They're trying to problem solve and we go back to another conversation about medical ethics, but this time, Riker <laughs> has come to Worf. Um, now, Worf, no, Worf went to Riker, didn't he? He mm-hmm, went to Riker's yeah. place. Worf oh, right, Riker. it's Riker's quarters. In my head, it was Worf's quarters. I was going to make a joke about how Riker turns off his heart porn right before. <laughs> uh, Riker kind of opens with not understanding, uh, which is fair. Uh, Riker, in fact, does. Uh, I mean. He understands in his way, but he doesn't really understand. Just he like, talks it through. I actually really like their friendship. 
Oh, definitely. When Worf says you don't get it and clearly puts frustration out there, Riker kind of says you're right. You know, that's cool. Uh, I can't tell you what to do. I can't order you. But he's got that great line of like, well, when does it stop? Like, when when does revenge stop? After I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's off. It's and, off. Then, and, then, and then Crusher figures she can help and uh, brings brings Worf to talk to the guy face-to-face. Like, that's going to help. Did you guys think that that was finally going to be what worked, Jimmy? What about you? I didn't. Yeah. I, I uh, To be honest, I wasn't thinking, oh, will it change his mind? I was just excited to see the, like, oh. <laughs> 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 You're bringing Worf in. Okay. I I can't wait to see where this goes. And then I wasn't surprised, but I was very happy. It was like, they're letting, <laughs> they're letting this character be something other than human. They're, or or yeah. at least another choice. You know, it was like an alien perspective. There was like, this is not uh, the typical Starfleet view uh, that they're letting him to go through. Right, but it's not alien. This is a very human perspective that gets played out all over. This right, place. of course, it has you know, to be. That's because the great it's metaphor. Yeah. Only humans are writing it, right? But it's, <laughs> we're letting it be something other than the usual Starfleet choices. Absolutely, absolutely. Kate? Oh, I was going to say, I love that the, the, the dude says, I would rather die than pollute my body with Klingon filth, which, which I mean, in some ways you go like, oh, well, then fuck you. I'm going to give you my blood and you're going to fucking live with it, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and kind Open of Worf had gone up to him and said, you know, I could do this. I, I thought that's what... That was the out that the him yeah. saying that exact line, Kate, was that was yeah. that was the writers being like, OK, he's going to do it out of spite now on filth. And that would be according to his warrior code. Uh, but I, I, I like like Jimmy keeps saying, I do just do do like that. They just keep it consistent that he is just no, nope, yeah. I don't want to kill him. I'm not going to go against, you know, the treaties of, of, of killing him, I'm, but I'm not going to help him. And I think that's a yeah. very important moral distinction. Right. He's like, there's Other I'm not the making. Punch. At the beginning, <laughs> where maybe I could have crushed his skull. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Well, it Worf is such so a good I'm warrior. Do it again. He's, yeah. Worf is such a good warrior. He was actually able to beat the ribosomes out of the guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. In the meantime, we have figured out what to do with the visor, with all of the radiation, with everything. And whose idea was it? The brilliant Bakra. I mean, working together, but it was his idea to use the tricorder. Just to plug that visor in. There's this great roller coaster moment where Jordy just goes like, yes, no, wait, maybe, I think, I go, no. (laughs) 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 That's brainstorming. Eureka! (laughs) Data says it's no big deal anyway. The storm's about to clear. Should, uh, Should have no problem within like an hour. The Romulan ship has now gone into Federation space. They done showed up. We knew it was happening. And now we can't go fix Jordy anymore because we got to keep our uh, our shields up. Red alert. Red alert. So they're probably going to be stranded forever, don't you think? They are. And they got to, they got to do something about the red alert. It is so <laughs> anticlimactic. Like you could, you would know. If you were just walking down the, the hallway... <laughs> It's very subtle. It's like they don't want to get you riled up or anything. Uh, they they got to make it a little more intense. It's not working for me. <laughs> a red alert should rile you a bit. Yeah, it should be like, shit, something's going down. I'm, I'm scared. The they sound did. is making me scared. The lights. <laughs> I was actually thinking that a lot of the, uh, the screams earlier in the episode of people trying to get attention from each other were very theater-trained scream and how it would have been much more interesting to hear some actual screams with you on the red alerts jimmy in the same kind of way so picard it is time to weigh in on the wharf controversy you guys think uh this was the inevitable place for wharf to land in this particular question well it's either either there or or 10 forward to talk to guinan so like one of those two exactly right that's your choice I was thinking that exact same thing. It, it might have gone differently, and I want to know what Guinan would have said. Well, um, she was suspended, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but Topical. Picard's not going to order him to do it either. 
Nope. He says, you know, there are political reasons why I think you should. He gets pretty close, though. Yeah, not just yep. political reasons, but, like, it'll start a fucking war, which is a political yeah. reason. But, like, it's a pretty good political reason. Picard yeah. is asking him to do this. I don't think Picard actually thinks that it's a wrong choice. I think he's he backs up Worf. He thinks it's the right thing yeah. for Worf to do, and it's his choice. He just says, dude, that would help me out. If you did that, yeah. with this other situation that is about also the entire galaxy going to war, like you're saying, like he's, he's just saying he's almost doing the exact same argument uh, that both Tomalak made and that <laughs> Jordy made to Bakura, which is like, is this what you're going to die on? And he, and then I think Picard is just like, OK, that is the choice. Well, I might may have made a similar one. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point that it's like the choice that uh, Jordy had brought up, except the other side. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm willing for you and everyone else to die on this point. <laughs> it's fucking so Worf. I it's love so it. Worf. But, but also you've got to, if I were Worf and he was unwilling to order, I wouldn't believe him when he said it was about the start of war. I That, that he thought it was actually about the start of war. Like he's gaming to the absolute worst case scenario, but he clearly doesn't think it's actually going to do that. Or he would say, I, I order you. Like, that's that's just what the captain of Starship Enterprise would do, right? I don't know. I mean, I think yeah, that's Picard. a that's a that, I think it, it, Picard makes a similar choice, right? Where he's like, I am asking you, I'm begging you. Like, I, I yeah, feel like morally yeah. I can do that to you. He's like, it's morally wrong for me to ask you to save the people who killed your parents. I think Picard's in the wrong business and I respect Worf. <laughs> mm. you know? I'm not I'm cool with Picard not ordering him to. But I think if he's talking about a billion people dying, then yeah, of course you order him to, and then you feel terrible and you apologize, and your friendship's ruined. But he's not your friend; he's your subordinate. Well, it didn't help this situation, that's for sure. I think Picard yeah. maybe is like, I might still be able to talk my way out of it, right. but it's going to be harder yeah. for me to do so now. It's really nice that the offer is made and that Picard is literally kind of begging. He does sincerely say, "I want you to do this." And the way this episode was so expertly done and with all the, the expectations that we were talking about story-wise and how genre television has done this thing of like, you think he's going to turn around. I mm -hmm. thought he was going to to walk from that conversation to sickbay. And I yeah. thought Crusher was going to say, you don't have to. He's already here. Like, I literally thought that's what was going to happen. And it's like, no, he's dead. And I got... Yeah. Oh man! That and that hated. whole conversation was probably happening after as he dead. He was already dead. It's so yeah. brilliant. Oof! I loved it. I mean, I love comeuppance, and uh, that's not necessarily comeuppance because he didn't get to take his revenge on the actual people. But it's right. uh, it's a little taste of comeuppance, right? Little taste of comeuppance. Yeah, that comes in a couple seasons down the road. So then, uh, Tomalak is here. He's there. Give me my people. My disruptors are firing. They're charged. They're charged. We're going to make it happen. The card the says, no, you're not. Mm -mm. I still love, and it's been explained many times, but I still love that you can fire phasers out when shields are at maximum. Don't think about the science too much, dude. Never, <laughs> never, never, never. Well, and also, if we're talking about logic, as soon as you have an issue with the Romulans, uh, you call for backup. <laughs> you yeah. immediately call Starfleet. like, uh, we need all the big ships now. Jordy, in fact, I, I don't think he's just bluffing when he says that has happened. I think right. it's well for him to expect that it did happen. Right. Like, because it, yeah. it should have. Like, yeah. get here now, warp factor 15, <laughs> just for no other reason than, you know, big dick energy. It's like, right. you're going to roll into our hood? Like, we got to bring out the bats now, let you know. Doesn't Riker do that at the end of Picard season one too? Like he shows up with all the fleet. Like that's what should have happened here. Right. If, this, if the stakes were as high as Picard is saying. Right. They are. If they were truly that high. They're about to die. All of them. We're just going to kill each other. But then there's a change in the neutrino field signaling that Jordy has found the, uh, the probe. There was some modulation. <laughs> right. It's different. <laughs> It could be caused by human people like Jordy. So then right at that second, Data is the one who detects the second life form. But if we lower our shields, they will attack. What are we going to do? 
Picard to the rescue doing his diplomacy thing. How does that work out, Kate? Oh, it's just one of those classic Picard speeches of uh, how how will we how will we learn to trust? How can we avoid this fight? If anyone's going to trust, then someone's got to make the first move, and I will lower the shields. It's just it's it's a uh, it's the classic sort of one-upsmanship through uh, the gamesmanship of diplomacy, right? Where it's yes. just it's it's sort of like i see your aggression and i raise you a lowering of shields (laughs) (laughs) but wrapped around a fist too like you say if if you fuck with us while these shields are down and i'm rescuing this miraculous second romulan that shouldn't exist yeah um you're gonna be fucked this is war it'll be your fault now i'm gonna do it Energize data right onto the bridge, right? Like yes, right, like right here. full view. You're gonna see warps coming with the security folks. Belay that order. <laughs> Picard starts singing. No one's going to harm you. <laughs> and but immediately, the shields get right back up. He does have a showmanship. Picard does in that speech. Like he is smiling to start. He is building up to it. You're right. You're right, kid. I do expect him to, to go into song. And, and they dance. beam right to the bridge, which is another question of why the hell do they have a transporter room? <laughs> I thought that too, Jimmy. Beam to wherever, right? You're like, O'Brien, just beam me to Tim Ford. Directly they, they to the bar, please. They can't go above warp seven for like 20 if they beam directly to the bridge. It's a long power resource. It's a power thing. That's, that was canon that a while ago. Beam me into a three olive martini, am I right? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was that was Pulaski. <laughs> but without the beaming. All right, so, you know, Bakra says to his, his superior, Mr. Tomalak, that everything's fine. I didn't tell them shit. And this one asshole isn't as big as an asshole as all the other ones are because he saved my life. And Tom Lacks, well, good. I, I'll tell your aunt. I've been talking to her recently. There's <laughs> the big, expansive grin the whole time. He says, I, ah, someone told me it was a one-person craft. I just, I'll tell you. I'll, look, I'll get to the bottom of this and send you an email in the next week or so. Their DMV registration must not be up to date. I don't know. <laughs> It's just amazing. So, weapons powered down. Uh, we're uh, getting my people back and getting the fuck back across the right, neutral right. zone. Except we will we will escort you to the neutral zone. Uh, and then they go different directions. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. We only had so much footage. There was only yeah. so many yeah, it was ships stock. leaving like, animations. We, we can't do that. Sorry, Sorry writers. <laughs> I, I want to be it's on incredible. that turbo lift at the end of the episode yes. because there is Worf, Jordy, and Bakra going to the see O'Brien and get transported off. And I wanted to see, like, because that would have been such an interesting moment to see Jordy saying, like, oh, this Romulan, you know, we actually work together, we saved our lives, blah, blah, blah. We're our friends a little bit. And what Worf would do with that information after what he just went through to see one of his friends befriending a Romulan. Like there's just so much right. more, like I want to see the, the, the three man play of what happens in that turbo lift when it and gets also stuck. How, uh, who asked for the email first? Was it Jordy or <laughs> Rob, like, yo, can I get your email, man? Yeah. <laughs> it's Bakra at the, the, <laughs> the empire dot net. <laughs> He's just a net. Yeah, check out my Insta page. I'm really <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> it was a close one, Riker says, to which Picard has a classic Picardism. He says, too close, number one. Brinksmanship is a dangerous game. I gotta say, I noticed his trilled R's more than I usually do in this. Brr. Scott, his Picard has these trilled R's all the way through, and it's wonderful. Yes, that's because what's his name was on the episode, so they were like showing each other up with their uh, Peter Brooks <laughs> influences. <laughs> yes, and I bet they did work together. Like you know, that was uh, Picard was was in that company in the late '60s. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. Super interesting. 
All right. So uh, let's talk about how we feel about this episode, not necessarily this particular podcast, which I, of course, let go all over the place, as is my want. Uh, Jimmy, what are your final thoughts? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic uh, episode. They used the trope of the, uh, you know, the enemy mind thing um, really well. Uh, it's it's something that can be used and reused because it, it's, it's such a good crutch to lean on. Uh, I absolutely love what they did with uh, Worf and how he was steadfast in a unpopular choice. One that, uh, you know, it's not what I would have done. I would have save the guy because that's the right thing to do but uh, I love that they did not go that route so this uh, for me is up there as one of the best uh, I think I will give it an 8 on the Kevorkian scale ooh that's dark that is dark yeah. thank you Jimmy <laughs> next up gotta <laughs> let him die <laughs> holy shit I love this episode. Uh, I'm going to give it eight and a half uh, neutrino beams because I like the juxtaposition between the two stories. Well, it's hard to tell which is the A plot and which is the B plot because I feel like they're they're pretty heavily um, featured both ways. Mm -hmm. But you sort of have the ideal of Star Trek uh, with the idea of can't we all just get along and if we could just figure out a way to work together then maybe underneath it all we're not so different when it comes down to it and that that just smacks right up against this other darker storyline that that does have a, a more sort of chilling edge to it and is maybe more the reality of what that timeline might be like versus the idealized version of what it might be like so yeah, I just think it, it handles really interesting things and it handles them really well. That's all. I love it. 8.5. Digging that very much. Greg, what are your thoughts? I am going to go for nine and a half blacksmith setting climbing spikes. <laughs> Perfect. They did uh, this so well. This reminds me of a lot of the you know properties we've already talked about. But Crimson Tide is one that I kept thinking <laughs> of this entire time of having you know the the tension and conflict between uh, what is right, what is morally the right thing to do uh, with the military brinksmanship. I just really enjoyed that back and forth throughout all the things we mentioned of the uh, performances. I think Michael Dorn does fantastic here wrestling with this. You do see the emotion that he's brought up, uh, remembering, you know, the viscerally of, of, of his of his parents' death. And I think there's so many great choices, one of them which is just having the Romulans constantly be hating on Worf the entire time. So it's not like you're getting the nice thing. You're getting, the audience is getting that from from the Geordi storyline. And so there's this, just a great... Uh, juxtaposition there and it's a fantastic uh piece of television i dig it i would i'm gonna go with nine late 80s sci-fi franchises i really really enjoyed the chance here to talk briefly about enemy mine which jimmy keeps bringing up one of my favorite movies of the late 80s we talked briefly about alien nation as a couple of our uh guest stars were on that particular show or in the movie in addition, we got to bring up the wonderful, wonderful um, series Max Headroom, which I know the four of us quite enjoy. So I enjoyed this trip down uh, memory lane there. And I just want to say that I was really struck by something Kate said in her, in her closing remarks there and started to think about how this would have gamed out differently if Jordy had been with Riker and the injured uh, Romulan and Worf had found Bakra, because it's probable that the two Romulans would both have died and Worf would have died because he at least wouldn't have worked with the Romulan. You know, you assume he would have just walked away or fought with him. He wouldn't have been able to see the neutrino beam. Exactly. So like, it's, it's super interesting to think about how that one little plot point would have changed everything necessarily. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this. Like I say, nine for me, uh, I loved doing this with uh, my uh, good to great friends <laughs> right here. Wow. <laughs> right here with me. My medium acquaintances to decently 
Christmas card receivers. I don't want to know what that scale is. <laughs> uh, y'all got invitations to the wedding coming, and I'm inviting nobody. So <laughs> join us next week when we do The Price, another fantastic episode for everybody, please. I had to wet my pants to get away from that comment about how you're only kind of okay, friends. <laughs> well played, sir. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 